0: back to the restoring darkness podcast on today's show i have i'm pleased to be joined and honored to be joined by buddy He he's an entrepreneur a small business owner and the vice president of engineering of crossroads led with over 20 years plus of experience and expertise in the development of advanced led based luminaires and dark sky certified lighting platforms Mr. Stefanoff is the driving force behind the company's product line, which has received numerous patents and awards, including the International Dark Sky Association's prestigious Best Design and Technical Innovation Award. Under Mr. Stefanoff's direction and leadership, Crossroads LED has become the undisputed worldwide leader in the design and production of LED luminaires that reduce light pollution and sky glow. Before we get to Buddy, I gotta welcome Greg Eric. He's making a he's honoring us with his presence today on the Restoring Darkness podcast, all the way over from Get a Grip on Lighting. You made it, Greg. I made it. This one
1: I had to be a part of. A lot of the stuff you talk about is, you know, it's beyond lighting.
0: I think this one might be lighting related, so you need me on this. Let's go. Why don't you tell me about the Lighting and Darkness Foundation, Greg Eric, before we start. Put you on the spot.
1: <laughs> all right. Well it's a something that we developed uh, or nailed, developed about what, six months ago now. It's something that is continuing to evolve to a point now where we've got a good plan coming for next year. I don't know if it's being announced yet, but that's something that will come. And, um, and we're at a point now where we're really going to make a difference in this industry. And I'm excited about what we got coming.
0: Yeah. So just to expand on that a little bit, because I'm a little do this more than once a week on here on Restoring Darkness. And that is the lighting and darkness foundation website, restoringdarkness.com. It's also where this, this podcast is hosted and you know, the lighting and darkness foundation was created by the lighting industry. Okay. So we are lighting distributors. We are lighting manufacturers and the board got together. We put out two open letters to the industry to start to address the light pollution issue, which is a real problem. Folks, we're not talking about a metaphor. Light pollution is pollution, causes lots of damage and harm. Light trespass is trespass in the age of LED and it's affordable. People can put it on their homes. In the old days, you'd have to use thousand watt metal halite. Now you buy something on Amazon for a hundred bucks. You put it up and you literally trespass on your neighbor's property. And so the lighting and darkness foundation is going to get the lighting professionals out into the field and teach them how to measure light trespass. And how to mitigate and mediate in these disputes between neighbors, because people have a right to light their properties, but they have to do it responsibly. And in the age of LED, it's both affordable and easy to have irresponsible outdoor lighting at night. And so the lighting and darkness foundation is the industry's answer to those problems. And so if you want to donate to this foundation, which is a 501 C three, that's right. You get a charitable receipt. If you're in the continental, well, if you're anywhere in the United States, Alaska and Hawaii included can write it off on your taxes. You go to RestoringDarkness.com and click the donate link. Why not become a monthly donor? That's right. If you care about this issue, give us a hand. And if you want to volunteer for the Lighting and Darkness Foundation, go there and click contact and contact the Lighting and Darkness Foundation's office. Buddy Stefanoff, welcome to the Restoring Darkness podcast, my friend.
2: Thank you. You know, um, Um, go go
0: ahead. There you go.
2: No, I was just going to say, you, you kind of hit in a, uh, a topic that we deal with all the time. Um, you know, we go and talk with, with cities, municipalities, uh, state agencies, uh, federal agencies, and it, it is really shocking how many people do not fully understand the issue of life. Um, they, they don't feel like um, either it's not real or it's not their problem. Um, you know, I have a. Yeah an email from a public works director we met with last year. And uh, in this email, when we brought up the issue that they needed to utilize lighting that was uh, that had shields on it that limited light trespass and light pollution, she wrote back and said, I think it's unfortunate that your group has decided to weigh in on light temperature, color, and shielding. These issues you listed are not dark sky issues. You know, that, well, that was the public works director. <laughs> Correct.
0: Well, I mean, you know, let me just, I know, Greg, you wanted to jump in right away, and I'm just going to comment on this. And a lot of people don't like this, okay? But dark sky is a bad term. It doesn't describe Mm -hmm. anything. It's not translatable into other languages. And it tells people that the future is going to be bad. So when you say to someone, there's dark skies ahead, oh, it's going to be really crappy. And and so it's not a good term. And, I, you know, God bless the Dark Sky International and the International Dark Sky Association and, and, and the good people there that are working hard and we're aligned with them on this issue. The only thing we're misaligned on is that we need night preservation and darkness restoration. That's what we need. Uh-huh. And so when people say things like that in an email, they're betraying their, um, their lack of information and their lack of understanding of the issue. Because light pollution kills, um, light pollution harms. And there's so many different reasons why this is true, buddy, and we need to fix it.
1: Mm-hmm. We're working on that. So <laughs> now that's what I want to get into. Is is you are working on it? And I don't see any other lighting manufacturers actively doing it. What tell us about Crossroads LED? Where you guys came from? What you do? Give us a whole background,
2: please. Uh, Crossroads LED um, was spun up. Um, uh, by uh, our our CEO and myself uh, about 14 years ago. Uh, I was working with another lighting company. Um, uh, She was uh, an HR manager. And uh, we just decided that we needed to uh, move on in our own direction. Um, We uh, uh, both left our jobs. Started this company literally out of our garage and grown it into what it is today. Um, Our focus was on uh, uh, advanced LED designs, LEDs that would actually last as long as people claim they would. Um, You know, we've had luminaires out there today that have run for 14 years without failure. We've we've yet to have a field failure uh, from one of our luminaires.
1: So that's Um, where you guys started with, right, is is just making LEDs better. And then Mm -hmm. how did you get into where you're at today, and when did you guys start getting very active in this darkness field?
2: We got into it about five years ago. Um, We had noticed some of the installations that we had been involved with um, appeared at night, brighter at a distance. We knew something was wrong. Um, we weren't really sure what the issue was. Uh, researched it, and at that time, not very many people uh, had a good understanding of what it was. But we actually went out. We actually thought we were we were horribly over lighting. And what we what we found out was we were using the wrong color temperatures. Um, at that time, we started researching the issue with dark sky. We started talking with cities and municipalities. We started talking with with um, residents that were complaining of light trespass. Um, some of these people had had issues for light trespass for 15 or 20 years, you know, had complained to their, to their city leadership, to their council members for decades and nothing had got resolved. Um, so we came up with, uh, uh, uh intellectual property and patents and, uh, uh, technology that helps limit the, the, uh, light trespass issue. We actually came up with shields that actually worked. Um, we, we actually, when, when there were no LEDs that could meet the, uh, uh, the requirement to, to eliminate blue light from the spectrum, we actually came up with our own standards and specifications and went out to the, uh, LED lighting manufacturer, actually the dye manufacturers themselves and had them make the dyes for us. Um, that's how we came up with our first uh, product, the astrophile. Um, astrophile literally means lover of stars lover of the night. And uh, we have uh, uh, shielding today that will fit over the luminaires themselves and will allow the uh, uh, contractors or the the, uh, city crews to adjust for light trespass. They can actually stop the light trespass at the curb. Um, A lot of companies also have done away with mounting doors on their fixtures Uh, we actually returned to using doors and now we now use the door as an aperture and this aperture helps and for those for those listening
0: for those listening to this buddy I'm just going to describe that buddy's uh, holding up various pieces of stamped metal to show that uh, the pieces of the fixtures and and to show us that he's putting these things in fixtures carry on buddy just wanted to let the listeners oh. know what's happening.
2: Yeah, I should, I should have got a little bit more detail on that. <laughs> um, That's good. These, comp- these components are, are utilized in our housings today. I actually have one right over here. And uh, when you turn it on, it provides lighting directly to the ground. The lenses are actually recessed up in the housing. You actually literally have to walk underneath it and look up to actually see any glare. Hallelujah. Your fixture has a glare. Hallelujah. This particular fixture has a glare rating of zero.
0: <laughs> Hallelujah.
2: Um, and then it will stop light trespass to the curb, to the pole, and still provide the uh, type 1 to type 5 lighting requirements that the city's need.
1: So there's a couple things I want to – so going back to the long lifespan, how come other manufacturers haven't implemented this or have they? Is this something that you guys have proprietary only to you or is it others can and should do?
2: Well, I think part of the problem is just from, from my observations in the field is we, we see lighting manufacturers that, that are focused on uh, on the, the metrics of economy. They, they will take a fixture and they will put the absolute um, lowest number of LEDs they think they can get away with in the fixture. And then they will overdrive it to the point where it actually meets a lighting or illumination spec uh, standard. Um, we've seen fixtures where... You know they've had 100 or 120 watt power supplies in them, and they are maxed out. Uh, we've uh, uh, taken some of these fixtures and done optical and thermal measurements on them, and they're absolutely at the the maximum rated temperature that the LED is allowed by the by the manufacturer. Because of that, these these luminaires don't last long. I often tell uh, public works directors, you know, it, it's it's the equivalent of going out and buying Uh, a high-performance car like a Corvette. You know, it does come with a, you know, a nice warranty. It's designed to go fast. But if you take it out of the parking lot or off the dealership and put your foot in it and just drive it wide open, you know, it's not going to last very long. It wasn't designed to do that. Same thing with LEDs. That's why most LEDs today only last a couple of years. Um, A lot of people are frustrated with these corncob lights. You know, this particular one, we took out an installation that had over 300 in them. I'm holding it up to the camera because you can see where some of the LEDs are missing. That's because this luminaire got so hot, the LEDs literally unsoldered themselves from this fixture. You can actually hear them. Um, Other luminaires aren't very adequately protected. Um, We've had some that we've we've opened up for clients and they literally have corrosion on them. LEDs are burned up. you know the, the power connectors are destroyed.
0: Did you did you check did you did you happen to check if those are on any approved lists for uh rebate applications um, or anything like that? Uh they all are. Yeah.
2: Almost all of them. Are. Yeah. It, it's, it's hard to whole... find one that's not nowadays.
0: We have we have a lot of uh, certified garbage coming down the pipeline real quick.
2: Right. Um so what we did, we 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 discovered that um the best way to solve this problem is to design the, the luminaires uh, to function uh, at a specific set point that we have internally uh, for uh, 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 for thermal dissipation. We, we have them run at about 70% of their rated thermal capacity, and we've just discovered over time that if you design them to run that way, the LEDs run cooler, the power supplies run cooler. And the fixtures will like will run you know we're from seven to ten years we have multiple installations where we've had leds in for a decade and they haven't failed
0: well you're the one um everybody else's are failing and um i you know let you know i i'm i'm not saying that i don't believe you and i know that led light fixtures can be made better and you're doing that and i applaud you for that you know i think that's you know there's still we still have a lot to learn about LED light and I love what you're doing though at Crossroads LED like I said hallelujah to the zero glare um, and you know the fact that you're you're talking about the fact that LED lights burn out and you've done it for years now puts you way ahead of the game but how do we convince the industry and the municipalities which are in control and the utilities because many of the utilities actually own the street lights as well How do we convince Mm -hmm. them that light pollution is pollution and it's more than just energy efficiency?
2: Part of what we have to do is um, we go out and meet with the clients directly. Um, uh, Early on, we tried to to, uh, promote our products through the standard distribution channel, but we found that the distributors were were not understanding the problem um their their sole focus was to make a sale they didn't care if if there was light pollution they didn't care if they were efficient or not they just wanted to sell x mini fixtures to whoever and so we actually um, uh, changed our sales strategy we actually went to a direct sales model and we now we actually go out and meet with with cities and municipalities we actually go out and meet with the director for the utility departments Um, we recently completed an installation um, for Depcon and Nevada Energy and uh, uh, that project there there was probably, you know, six or seven different lighting manufacturers that were bidding on it. Some of them had a lower cost than, than we had, but we were able to convince them with photometric data through, uh, uh, through our presentations that our project would actually reduce uh, light pollution. And we did this just north of Las Vegas, you know, a town that's historically not, you know, known for, you know, trying to conserve the night sky. <laughs> so, you know, it, it it can it can be done, uh, but we've just found that we've had to meet with them directly.
0: Yeah, we got we got good news. Um, the uh, you're speaking to the um, the managers of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, and one of the main funding priorities. Of the newly created Lighting Darkness Foundation, which is like a spin out because it has a different mandate than NAILD does. NAILD represents lighting distributors, Lighting and Darkness Foundation represents the lighting industry, but was created by Uh NAILD. And the number one priority is to create a training program for all of our members to teach them about light pollution and why it's bad, and all of their employees, and train them on how to measure and specify for light trespass and light pollution issues. And so, Mm -hmm. while I agree that at the time you made that move, um, it was the right move, I think it's time to reconsider your strategy.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, until we see something that works a little bit better than what we're doing right now, we'll we'll probably stick to it in the short term. Um, You know, like I said, we have reached out from time to time to distributors. We've talked to some in Utah and Arizona. And, you know... It's a it's an odd it's an odd situation. They're they're very interested in selling our products, but they don't want to approach it uh, from a dark sky uh, vantage point. They're 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 afraid that if you if you if you bring that topic to um, the decision makers, that they will be alienated.
0: Yeah, that's because they have and no that's training. Just,
2: that's just,
0: that, no, that's because yeah, they have and no training. And yeah. not only that, though, but they don't know what they're talking about. Right, so and like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, buddy, I'm gonna put it to you this way, okay? From the IES to the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors to Namco to AILA to everybody else, in this industry, everybody's got their heads in the sand. They're not paying any attention. And the fact is this: the number one revenue opportunity in front of the lighting industry right now is this issue. It's not indoor LED lighting. It's not anything else. Every single light fixture, outdoor light fixture in America, needs to be replaced. Period.
2: We agree. We agree, and that's what we tell people. We, we, you know, um, we spoke with a city that just had fixtures up for about two and a half, three years, and they realized that they made a very bad decision. It's disgusting. It's not. It's not. They didn't make a bad
0: decision. They didn't make a bad decision, buddy. That's not the right way to put it. They've created a light pollution uh-huh. catastrophe.
2: Uh-huh.
0: This is a catastrophe. It's so bad. It's it's out, It's out. completely out of control. And the sooner the lighting industry... Because, buddy, who's going to fix this issue? It ain't going to be Buddy Stefanoff on his own. It's going to be the lighting industry no. that fixes this issue. There's way too many light fixtures. You couldn't make enough light fixtures to fix the issue. Um and so the lighting industry has to take a step back, give their heads a shake from the IES down to the lower levels, distributors, contractors, designers, um, the White Tower, ivory people at, the, at all the accreditation agencies, everybody. And they need to listen to what you're saying, look at some of your technology, and realize that this is not a technological problem, buddy. This is a mindset problem. We need to think about light pollution as pollution.
2: If we do. Um, you know, the, the, like I mentioned earlier, this one city we talked to, you know, they realized that, you know, to fix the problem, you know, it isn't going to cost, you know, twice what the, the initial installation charge is. Um, it's going to cost them about three, three and a half times as much as the original project cost, because we now have to pay people to go out there, remove the old luminaires, take them down, buy the new dark sky rated luminaires, and then have somebody go back out there and put them back up again. You know, that that's not cheap.
0: But product labeling is limited you know to it in its effect, buddy. We can only have so much mm-hmm. product labeling. We also need intelligence in the field with our contractors and our distributors, people that know. Because you can take a, <clears throat> a, a a labeled fixture and mount it incorrectly. And you so the, the product labeling is not a panacea. In fact, product labeling is the reason we're in this position in the first place.
2: Right you know we see a lot of fixtures where they they mount the the luminaires at a 45 degree angle because the contractors have been have been um instructed or told that if they mount them at a 45 degree angle they can cover right. more lighting area in a parking lot or on a roadway mm. you know what they don't realize is the amount of light trespass and light pollution these fixtures are creating um mm. when we created the astropile fixtures um you know most fixtures have a a step in the housing where they can adjust and tilt the fixture up, you know, plus or minus 10 degrees. Um, all of our fixtures come with with bubble levels and there's no step. It, it will only be it can only be mounted to the to the pole in a in a horizontal plane. Um, a lot of times the the contracts will come to us and say, well that pole was backed into and it was bent. And my response is well then repair or replace the pole. It was already damaged. Fix the pole. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't make the change at the fixture, fix the pole. You know, it's like the, it's like on the screen we have back here, you know, this is the typical spectrum for uh, a 4,000 Kelvin LED. And you know, you can see the, the intense blue spectrum off the LED. That short wavelength blue light is, is the primary cause of light pollution. And you've now got an estimated 90 million street lights that are LED that are, that are emitting light in this spectrum. This is why it has the light pollution has gone up, you know, five, 10% every single year. You know, in contrast, our fixtures.
0: And what Buddy's doing right now is he has a screen in his background. He's changing the background to show the the difference in the correlated color temperature of the light emitted from his light fixtures.
2: As you can see in this, in this, uh, uh, Screen capture uh, behind me, you know, there is no short wavelength blue light coming off the fixture. It's all in the amber and the red range. It actually is coming in. This particular picture is coming in at 1700 Kelvin. You know, you can't do that with filters. You know, I've seen people, uh, you know, on YouTube or I've even run into contractors occasionally where they'll come up with these orange films, silk adhesive films. They say, well, we'll just put this over the lens. And I'm like, that's not going to do it. You know, and we actually have spectrometers. We have, um, you know, lighting equipment, obviously in our R&D lab here, like like we have here today. We also have field spectrometers. You know, I have handheld spectrometers like this one right here. And you know, I'll have these people come out and tell me they can change, you know, the spectrum of the light and I'll stand under it and prove them wrong. Because you can't, you might limit its light output. You might absorb some, some spectrum of the light, but you're not gonna get rid of the blue light.
1: So are you saying that every street light should be or outdoor light should be 1,700 Kelvin?
2: No, it depends on the application. We have some uh, uh, customers where 2,000 Kelvin worked. Uh, we have some customers uh, uh, like Flagstaff has, has two observatories. They have the Lowell Observatory and the Naval Observatory. And they required a very specific wavelength of light to limit light pollution. Those fixtures are actually coming in at 1,600 Kelvin. Well, we, so, well, but what we what, what what
0: what it, what it, what what buddy's saying though and i can I correct correct me if i'm wrong buddy is that it's well below 2700 kelvin anyway
2: well below we a lot of companies are are starting to offer 2200 kelvin uh, but that's not even enough. our our studies have shown that 2200 kelvin will still create the same problem that a 2700 or a 3000 kelvin led does
0: and Kelvin's really the uh, well, wrong I mean, word. You... We can get into it a little bit more, but I did a podcast yeah. uh, with Mark Baker from Softlights and Noah Sabatier just yesterday that should be released next week or when I'm looking at the producer here. But what they described to uh-huh. me is that actually people can't see better under 5,000K at night. They actually see more clearly under lower Kelvin temperature lights. This is not a question. This is proven. And so... The, the, the What we discovered in going through the different research is that right now, we're, Greg, we're making our street light systems. So if you were, we're designing our road lighting systems to be viewed from above. So if you wanted to look at our roads from above, our roads are perfectly lit. But they're not lit for people traveling horizontally through those spaces. Horrible glare. That's correct. They can see less. Like if you wanted to light up to see roads from space with satellites, this is how we've lit our roads is the best. It's it's been our our roads and our outdoor lighting is lit up to be seen from space, not for people walking through those particular environments.
2: Right. Probably what Mark Baker is talking about is uh, disability glare. And that, that is a real problem. And, and he, he is correct. The higher up in Kelvin temperature you go, the worse the problem becomes.
0: Mm-hmm. And so the, it's you're, something you're, to do you know, with like the so rods. It's it. something to do with the rods and the cones in your eyes but, but when you're traveling and your eyes are adjusting to dark and night and all that sort of stuff. And the way it's adjusted, I, I can't remember all the different science of it. But, yeah, there's a serious problem there for sure.
1: So and as a lighting dark, the, the takeaway is that it has to be less than 2200 Kelvin is what you're saying
2: uh you broke up there I, I i didn't hear the last sentence
1: it has to be less than 2200 kelvin is that correct
2: yes that that is correct that's from from our from our studies um uh, 2200 kelvin is is heading in the right direction but it just doesn't it won't solve the light pollution problem it will only, it's like kicking the can down the road it, it just you're just stretching out the problem
0: you also need um, zero only, glare found, as well you also need zero glare from the light, yes. the light fixture as well.
2: Right. You know, when, when you have the, the lenses uh, exposed, you know, when, when the lenses are, are literally dropping down out of the fixture, <laughs> you ridiculous. can't get the glare to go away. There's nothing you can do. Um, but like I, I was mentioning earlier, um, uh, we found that uh, once you get uh, the color temperature down to about 2000 Kelvin, um, you have less than 0.1% blue light emission. And when you get down to sixteen hundred Kelvin, it's at zero. Um, these these are the 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 uh, color temperatures that we offer uh, cities today that are looking yeah. for uh, reduction in dark sky.
1: So you in know, for, general, for though,
2: like every
1: light, every outdoor light should be that low in Kelvin. There's never an exception where you should go whiter. A stadium. That's um, what I'm asking.
2: Even in stadiums, like if they have, um, you know, if you have parking lot lighting in stadiums, uh, there's really not an issue for that. Um, If you're if you're in at an indoor stadium, um, you know, of course, that lighting can be, you know, as bright as intense as they want to be. If it's an outdoor stadium, um, you know, there's companies like Musco that have fixtures that have uh, shielding in place. But even Musco, uh, their, their direction is, you know, we'll we'll illuminate the field, you know, while the games are going. But before and after, they turn them off to limit light pollution. You know, they don't leave them on all night.
0: Yeah.
1: And as, far, as far as the success you guys have selling this, is it geographic? Because the places you've mentioned have all kind of been southwest. Are you seeing this other, uh, other places?
2: Oh, yeah. We, we've uh, recently completed jobs in Missouri. Um, we've uh, had a, uh, retrofit conversions for our 2,000 Kelvin products out on the East Coast. It, it's really just about everywhere. You know, it's happening more in the Southwest right now just because I think that there's more more focus on it right now. There's there's more discussion on it out there. Um, they've also had some uh, uh, pretty major failures out there from other lighting companies. You know, they've, they've had some fixtures turn purple, fixtures turn green. You know, they've had them strobing, flashing. Um, I was visiting with a contractor a couple of years ago, and they had three shipping containers full of burned out lights, and the lights were all less than two years old. So, you know, it 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 is a problem, but but there are solutions. But the the first part you have to uh, that you have to take care of is meeting with the decision makers and explaining to them what the what the actual problems are.
0: I got to disagree with you on that. I have to disagree with you on that 100 percent. I think you're starting from the wrong position. Uh, the the reason why we do this show is to tell the lighting industry uh-huh. this forget like people talk about come on talk about the health effects of lighting on. get a grip online they all we have to train the customer why don't we train the industry the industry uh-huh. is complete has no idea about this you if you walk into an electrical distributor or lighting distributor or whatever you walk in and say I want to have dark sky nobody knows what you're talking about they don't even know where to look yeah and we're trying to train well, the see, end users. We're trying to train the end users when the industry has, when they, when they pick up the phone and they call somebody, they can call Crossroads LED, but nobody else. Well, where's the second quote? Where's the third quote? And so we, if we want to get this train really to arrive at the station, we need the industry trained, buddy. That's what I think.
2: Well, see, I, again, you know, we can respectfully disagree. But of course. Um, five, six years ago, five or six years ago, um, the, the standard color temperatures were 5,000 and 4,000 Kelvin mm-hmm. you, that none of the, none of the big lighting companies were offering anything else. It wasn't until people started talking about light pollution. They started talking about, um, disability glare on the roads that they even started talking about 3000 Kelvin lights. Well, then all of a sudden the specifications were going out from the cities, from the, the decision makers, and they were requiring 3000 Kelvin <laughs> lighting because at the time. That, that was seen as the solution. Well, the other lighting companies decided if we don't get on board and, and design a light that has a 3,000 Kelvin LED, we're not going to be participating in this bid or we're, we're going to be left out or we're going to you know, fall behind. And so they slowly but surely came on board with it. I think that's what has to happen here. I mean, I, I, I travel all over the United States. I, I probably on average um, meet with anywhere from 80 to 100 cities a year. And so I see the level of technology from all the other companies and I'm, I'm very comfortable to say that we're, we probably have a three to five year advantage over our competition. Mm-hmm. We're that far ahead of them because even today I see them trying to put a 2200 Kelvin light in a fixture that was originally a three or 4,000 Kelvin fixture. They didn't take into account, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the issues that they that are associated with putting, a uh, an led in a fixture that's not really designed for that color temperature they they're not as efficient they tend to run a little bit warmer and so they tend to overheat um
0: so you're saying the lighting industry needs education
2: i i think i think the lighting industry <laughs> needs to so have we their, agree their, their <laughs> eyes open. we don't disagree yeah. well they need to have their eyes well they have to have their eyes open but the only way you're going to get their attention is if cities start specifying the lower color temperatures and they start uh being able to not offer them in a bit then they'll so, come over. Oh, so so the specifiers
0: ne- so the specifiers need the education.
2: Yeah, I think I think That's the agents, right? Both. So
0: the we're we're on the same page. Like we're 100% right. I, on I, I the same page. I think we're
2: probably both right. I think we're both yeah. right in this. It you know, we we just take it from our vantage point from from our direction because that's how we see the industry leading. Right. You know, when we want to go out and make a sale to the city of Phoenix or we want to talk to um, uh, cities in, in Utah or Idaho, you know, we go and talk with the, with those um, decision makers directly.
0: Yeah. But the, the difference um, is buddy, but the difference between what you're saying and what I'm saying is that from your, per, your sales perspective, you have to talk to the end users and convince them. What I'm saying is yes. that to get a sale for Crossroads LED, which is which reduces light pollution and sells light fixtures and funds your company. What I'm saying is that if we want to solve the light pollution light trespass problem, we need to get the lighting industry on board because the the specifiers who are specifying the fixtures for the municipalities are lighting people. It's not right. non-lighting people that are doing that. It's the lighting Uh people that are telling the town to put in the 3,000, the 4,000, whatever fixture that's out there that they specify and they know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking Uh about. And so then you Uh end up going to that end user and saying, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And what I'm saying is that everything would be a lot smoother if everybody in the industry was on the same page. And that's why I think we agree. The only difference is, is perspective. From your perspective, to get a sale, you got to talk to those end users and convince them. And you're on the front lines of this, and I respect you and I love what you're doing. But what I'm saying from the Lighting and Darkness Foundation issue and a worldwide humanity issue is that if we want to solve this problem for everybody, Crossroads is part of the solution. It's not the solution. The industry has to get on board with this. And distributors, contractors, agents, specifiers, designers, and manufacturers need to come to terms with the fact that we've created a ton of light pollution. And the only people that can solve it, Greg Eric, is us the lighting industry. And mm-hmm. the sooner we start doing that, the sooner we make a ton of money and the sooner we do good for the environment and we save the birds and we reduce, improve people's circadian rhythms and everything else that you want to throw on the pile of goodness that darkness restoration and night preservation help. Greg, can you get me out of this mess. I can't stop no, talking. No, well, I'm going to... Please. Buddy,
1: no, is it going to happen? No, this is good. is good. Is it going to happen is my question because Mike's been talking about it forever. Is it inevitable everybody's going to go to Less than 2200 Kelvin, dark sky friendly lighting or whatever term we're going to use. I
2: think I think it is happening today. Like I said, um, on my last business trip, I saw a couple of 2200 Kelvin fixtures. Um, One one was dim and the other was flickering, but they were out there. Um, Manufacturers are coming on board, um, but there there is a level of research and development that has to be applied to the technology to make it work. Um, you know, we, we had to do our own R and D to come up with our own LEDs the the LEDs we're talking about today don't exist on the market. You, you can't go buy them. You know, it, it is a very systemic problem, but you know, we've all got to start somewhere to, to make the, 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 the problem go away. And the problem is light pollution. You know, how, you know, I've, I've talked, I've talked with, I've talked with distributors and some distributors don't want to sell our products. Uh. Because uh, part of our part of our market is retrofitting. You know, we about one third of our business is converting old fixtures, which are some of them are four and five thousand Kelvin LED fixtures, some are old HPS or metal halide fixtures. But a third of our business is LED conversion. They don't want to get involved in that because their business is to sell new fixtures.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't. You know, what? It's not that they don't want to get involved in it. It's that they don't understand it, and they don't know how they're mm-hmm. going to make a buck. It's not that they're, they're not against, nobody's, nobody in the lighting industry is against this. We all want to make money. Like, let's just, mm-hmm. I hate to say that. So many people get mad at me when I
2: talk like this, buddy. But I don't get mad. Think, this is a great conversation.
0: Yeah. Like, I mean, I just say to people, like, the, hello, lighting industry. I have a massive market in front of you right here. Every light fixture in the United States needs to be replaced. Sorry, I'm too busy. I have my head in the sand. Oh, okay, well, can you get your head out of the damn sand for a second and look at this? And the second thing is that light pollution is an environmental issue unto itself. It causes all manner of problems. It hurts wildlife. It does all kinds of things that are horrible for us as humans and all living things on the earth. Okay? And it's disgusting, grotesque, and ridiculous. And the lighting industry needs to solve this problem. That's right. You, sucka. You created all kinds of light pollution in your career, Greg Eric. You, you light pollution <laughs> demon, and you need to fix it now, okay? No more outdoor lights for you until you get on board. This is what we need to say to each other. Listen, I was at a, I was at the LED conference. Remember the old LED convention or something like that used to happen in the 2000s before 2010? And I remember sitting in the crowd in 2009 and the guy standing up and saying, you know what? I'm just hoping one day we'll hold this convention in a hotel that has LED. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. With my, I heard that with my own ears in 2009 or 10 or something like that. So change cannot occur, buddy, until the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of change. Let's highlight the pain. Let's tell people this is horrible. It's disgusting. It's ridiculous. It's bad for you. And not only that, though, but the Milky Way is so beautiful, buddy. You want to see it. Trust me. It's something you want to see.
2: Oh, I've got pictures of it. My last trip, we were out in uh, Utah. We were actually out in Flagstaff, and we stood in the the town plaza, and looked up, and you can see it. Amen, brother. Yeah.
0: So, folks, I want you – what's your website, buddy?
2: Our website is CrossroadsLED.com.
0: CrossroadsLED.com. I'm going to call it right now, Greg Eric, the leaders in night preservation and darkness restoration. Forget about that term, dark sky. Nobody understands what you mean. What we want to do is we want to preserve night where it exists, folks. And we want to restore darkness to our light-polluted environments. We don't want dark skies. We want beautiful skies filled with stars that are bright, actually. It's the other way Mm -hmm. around. So we need to change the way we think about this. The language is important. And if you want to support this movement, you go to restoringdarkness.com right now. That's right. And there's a couple things you can do. You can listen to podcasts. You can check out the darkness news update where Scott Walker consolidates all the news in the entire world in English that's on this topic and he puts it into a five or 10 minute news brief and lets you know everything is happening in the world on this, on this topic. Or mm-hmm. you can volunteer for the Lighting and Darkness Foundation. You can be a web developer. What else do we need, Greg? We need a web developer right now. You're a web developer. He's too busy. He's got to do no, to He's working on it. But
1: yeah, look at if that. You get that
0: guy, Greg, <laughs> snap the whip because I'm going to get someone that's going to volunteer. Or you know what else you can do? If you just want to support us in our creation of educational programs for our advocacy, we're going to uh, mediate in light trespass disputes in the field. That's right. We're going to go there. We're going to train the industry how to do this. Go to restoringdarkness.com. Click that donate link right now. And after you're done doing that, go to crossroadsled.com, buddy. That's correct. Crossroadsled.com. Oh. Check it out.
2: Crossroadsled.com. I didn't always being queued for a, a, being a little being follow there.
0: I'm pointing at you there. Crossroadsled.com, the pioneer. I You know, I've done, I don't know, a hundred. How many darkness podcasts have we done? Hundreds? A hundred? Something like that. He's give me a hand signal. Lots of thing this company's legit i love the zero glare i love the lower color temperatures check them out thanks for listening folks